1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verses 1 to 23. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not the result of my work in the Lord? Even though I may not be an apostle to others, surely I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who sit in judgment on me. Don't we have the right to food and drink? Don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us, as do the other apostles and the Lord's brothers and Cephas? Or is it only I and Barnabas who lack the right to not work for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat its grapes? Who tends a flock and does not drink the milk? Do I say this merely on human authority? Doesn't the law say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. Is it about oxen that God is concerned? Surely he says this for us, doesn't he? Yes, this was written for us. Because whoever plows and threshes should be able to do so in the hope of sharing in the harvest. If we have sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? If others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? But we did not use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. Don't you know that those who serve in the temple get their food from the temple, and that those who serve at the altar share in what is offered on the altar? In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. But I have not used any of these rites. And I'm not writing this in the hope that you will do such things for me, for I would rather die than allow anyone to deprive me of this boast. For when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast, since I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. If I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. If not voluntarily, I am simply discharging the trust committed to me. What then is my reward? Just this, that in preaching the gospel, I may offer it free of charge and so not make full use of my rights as a preacher of the gospel. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some, I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. 
The life of the Apostle Paul was not easy. We read in the book of 2 Corinthians that for the sake of the gospel and in his desire to make Christ known, he was flogged, beaten, stoned and imprisoned. He tells us he was shipwrecked no less than three times, that he lived a life constantly on the move, that he faced dangers from rivers, bandits and opponents both outside and within the church that he went without sleep, often without food, and without warmth. In summary, he is a man who made great sacrifices for the cause of Jesus Christ. What motivated Paul to make those kinds of sacrifices? Well, it was Paul's passion for mission. And in our passage this evening, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, we get an insight into Paul's passion, and we see one aspect of his motivation for mission. And as we look together this evening at 1 Corinthians 9, I want us to know, to believe, and to feel that same motivation. That's my prayer for us all this evening that we might be gripped by the same things, the same truths that grip Paul. In mind and in will and in heart. That whatever God's call might be for our lives, we might have that same motivation and be willing to follow his call. Now Paul shows us his motivation for mission as a part of his answer to a question we started looking at last week that may seem to us very, very obscure. Remember last week we were thinking about this question of, is it right for a Christian to eat food that has been sacrificed to idols? And whilst that issue might seem quite or not very relevant to us, the principles that Paul uses to answer that question are incredibly relevant. And as we looked last week at chapter 8, we saw that Paul called us to be motivated by a love for one another and acting out of love for each other and being concerned for the impact of our decisions and actions upon each other, brothers and sisters in the Lord. And as we come this week to chapter 9, Paul having moved to speak about thinking of one another in answering that question, he comes to his second reason that he wants them to think through. And it is, he says, learn from my example. He holds up his life as a personal example in how they approach this question of what they can eat. Because the Corinthians who wanted to eat eat the food that was sacrificed to idols seem to be appealing to their right to do so. Seem to be appealing to their freedom to do so. If you look there at chapter verse 1 of chapter 9, Paul says... Am I not free? And he goes in to speak about all the freedoms that he has. And so it seems that those who were saying, we can eat this food, they were saying, we're free to eat it. And in answering that very specific case that was being made, Paul opens up a broader case to us. He says, look at my life and learn from me as I'm following the Lord. Don't be motivated by what you see as your rights and freedoms, 
Instead, join me in living for something bigger and better. And in doing that, he opens up for us this evening a rich seam of truth about his motivation for mission. And that's what we're going to look at tonight. We're going to have two main points. We're going to see what shouldn't motivate us, and then we're going to see what should motivate us. Let's turn, first of all, to see what shouldn't motivate us. As we look at verses 1 to 15, and we shouldn't be motivated by this because it will kill any impulse for mission. Do not live for your rights, Paul says, verses 1 to 15. And the key point that Paul is making here is that we need to turn from living for what we think are our rights and our freedoms as God's people. Now, this point is made by Paul in how he uses his own approach as an example. And so he's going to respond here in verses 1 to 15 to some specific challenges that are being made against him and criticisms being made of him in the Corinthian church. And he explains that he could respond by appealing to two very fundamental rights for him to respond to those criticisms. And even though those that appeal to those rights that he had could have silenced his critics, he won't do it. Let's see how he does it. First of all, he says, he reminds them of his right as an apostle. That's there in verses 1 to 5. So Paul is facing some criticism in Corinth, and he's saying, learn from my example in how I respond to this by not appealing to my rights. The right he appeals to first is this right to an apostle. Look at verse 3. He seems to be defending himself against those who sit in judgment against him. And it seems that some are saying that Paul is not a genuine apostle, so they shouldn't listen to him or take him seriously. And the simplest way for Paul to have answered that criticism would be to have appealed to his authority and power as an apostle. That would have been the trump card that he could have played that would have dealt with all the criticisms he was facing. He could have lived by his right to this authority he had as a leader, but he won't. He rejects that. So he looks at his rights to an apostle, but he won't appeal to those. But also, secondly, he turns in verses 6 to 15 in this not living for your rights to his right as a preacher of the gospel. Now, in Corinth, public speakers expected and received payment for their public speaking. And perhaps his opponents were saying, well, Paul's not genuine because he won't take money. And so he goes into this extended explanation of why he was entitled to take money, why it was his right. Look at verse 12. He says, this was my right, but I didn't use it. And verse 15, he says, I didn't use any of these rights. And in explaining what his rights were as a preacher, he It appeals to a number of things. He appeals to principles from the world. Verse 7, a soldier doesn't serve his own expense. He appeals to Old Testament scripture when he speaks there of that quote from the law of Moses, don't muzzle an ox while it's treading the grain. He appeals to the practice there in the temple where the priests could earn something of their living from what they did in the temple. And then he appeals finally to Christ's command where the Lord Jesus made that clear also. And all of that is to say that Paul could have stood on this right that he had to receive support. And we could 
right? You say there's an implication here from this passage and elsewhere that, that those who preach the gospel uh, do have the right, those engaged in gospel ministry, to be provided for if they're set aside for that. But Paul has a bigger point here, a much bigger point, because he's saying, although he had those rights, he chose not to live by them in Corinth. Look at verse 15, but I have not used any of these rights. So he's saying, I turned from my rights of authority as an apostle to defend against the criticism I'm facing. I've turned from my right to financial support as a preacher because there is something better to motivate my life and my ministry. So by his example, he teaches as a principle that we are not to live by our rights. And that's so vital to see as we think about this question of what motivates us for mission because if you live by your rights, you will never sacrifice for mission. The Lord Jesus Christ is a great example of this. Didn't we see this in our home groups this week as we went to Isaiah 53 and we saw all that he left when he faced, that when he came to this world to do the task that God had sent him, when he came to be that sacrificial suffering substitute. If Christ Jesus had thought of his rights, then he would not have come to save. And friends, as we think about what motivates us for mission, we need to turn from something. We need to turn from the way in which people can appeal to their rights and freedoms. Because if that is what is central to us, then we will not sacrifice to go for mission. Because we live in days, don't we, when rights and freedoms are paramount. So many speak of their rights and of how you cannot restrict your freedoms. But if we look around us, we can see where that leads, individually and as a nation. But we have to be so careful that we can adopt this worldly thinking without realizing it. Now, there is, there is good in recognizing the dignity an intrinsic value of all humanity, and that should affect how we treat people in that sense. But the key thing for us to grasp here is that if we live by our rights personally, we will never sacrifice for the Lord and for others in mission. We will never make the sacrifices needed to build up the people of God in our church if our rights and freedoms are paramount. We will never make the sacrifices needed to reach people through mission, both in hard places in the UK and overseas. We will never make the sacrifices needed to help those who find the Christian life a struggle. But friends, Jesus Christ calls us not to take up our rights, but to take up our cross. And friends, many Christians in the West I've forgotten that. And that's where Paul's words here are deeply challenging. Because he says, I could have stood by my rights as an apostle, and I didn't. I could have stood by my rights to receive financial support when I was with you in Corinth, but I didn't. And in that way, his example in that approach is deeply challenging. You know, when we see the fact that we are forgetting this, is that there is a big drop in numbers who are coming forward to full-time missions work 
in the West. There's a similar decline in those applying to study and then serve in pastoral ministry. Now, as people are trying to think about this and ask the question, why is that the case? I'm sure the answer is complex, but could at least part of it be that we have forgotten that God's word calls us to die to self and sacrifice for the Lord Jesus Christ? If you live by your rights and insist upon your freedoms, that will block anything that you might do for the Lord Jesus. Because you won't be willing to do it. Missions will not happen. So Paul, by his example, says, don't live for your rights and freedoms. Don't make them central. Don't make them the things that motivate you. Instead, have a different motivation. And here we come to the second way in which Paul challenges in motivation for mission. Secondly, don't live for your rights. But secondly, and here we're going to look at this in detail, be motivated by a greater goal. The key point we learn here is that a godly motivation for mission centers around the privilege of freely sharing the gospel and the desire to win people that they might know God. Now, this is the heart of the passage. Paul explains it in verses 15 through to 23. He says that if he was motivated by duty, then he's only doing what he should in verses 15 to 17. But he's really clear that he is not motivated by duty. He is seeking a different reward in his desire to go and make Christ known. And it's twofold. The first reward, the first motivation that Paul seeks is the privilege to share the gospel freely. Look at verse 15. He says, what then is my reward? Just this, that in preaching the gospel, I may offer it free of charge. And so not make full use of my rights as a preacher of the gospel. So he's saying his reward, his motivation is to preach the gospel freely, without cost, not receiving payment. Because in doing so, Paul gets to show just how wonderful the gospel is. Because he is prepared to share it for nothing. He won't be paid to speak about it, even though it comes with great dangers to share it. Because Paul knows that what God is sharing and showing in the gospel is so great and is so glorious that sharing it freely is enough of a reward. In fact, sharing it freely makes even more of the greatness of the gospel. Because he said, I don't want to receive payment. I want to show that I love God so much and that Christ's promise of eternal life is so great that I'm going to bring it freely to you. Now in Corinth, that was particularly important because we've seen already that great speakers were well paid for their work. And so they were perfectly able to speak with amazing passion. But for them, in all their passion, what was it? It's just a job. Just paid the bills, the mortgage, the utilities, however high they went, the food costs. And Paul did not want anyone to think he was like that. He didn't want them to think that he was going to speak of Christ just to pay the bills. And perhaps that explains, particularly in Corinth, why Paul did not want to take money from the church. In other churches, in other situations, think of Philippians, he took financial support to help him. So he's not against that. In 1 Timothy 5, he speaks of how those who serve 
and make Christ known, if that's her calling, uh, in that full-time sense, they are to be supported in it. But in this context, because of what was going in Corinth, he particularly wanted to preach the gospel freely so that he could demonstrate the glory and the worth of knowing God and of sharing the gospel in itself. So he didn't receive any money. My friends, as we think of that, it reminds us that it is a great privilege to share the gospel. It's a great privilege to speak of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think the first uh, talk I ever gave as a Christian was from uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 20. Do you know the verse? Speaks of being Christ's ambassadors, of God making his appeal through us. And I'm not sure I said a huge amount that was helpful. But what I think gripped my soul and has stayed in me since that day was this thought. Ambassadors go all around the world to share a message. And they go for all kinds of different reasons. But as Christians, we have the privilege of being ambassadors for the King of Kings with the best message in all the world. And that's a privilege, isn't it? It's a privilege, it's a joy. And that should be reward enough. Reward enough that we can speak freely of the gospel. So that's part of Paul's motivation. That's part of why Paul is motivated for mission. He wants to share that with us. But there's a second part to it as well. His greater goal was to win people. To win people. This second reward he's looking for, this is what comes out in verses 19 to 21. And it's such a well-known passage that I think you can miss it. Because he says in verse 15, what's my reward that I may preach the gospel free of charge? And then he goes on to speak of further reward. Because what does he say? He says that his reward he is seeking is people. To win people. Look at verse 19. He says, I want to win as many as possible. Look at verse 20. He says, I want to win Jews. Look at the end of verse 20. He says, I want to win those who are under the law. That's the Gentiles. Look at verse 22. I want to win the weak, Paul says. Look at the end of verse 22. I want to save some. Paul is driven by this passion to win people. He is motivated by a desire to win souls. And friends, that is a worthy aim. Because when God works, people are saved. Did you notice in verse 22, there's a change in the language. He's talked about winning people, winning people, winning people. And then in verse 22, he says that by all means possible, I might save some. And he particularly wants to emphasize that what happens when someone is one to Jesus Christ is they are saved. Now that reminds us that what Paul is about and what we're about as Christians is not a popularity contest, it's not a political agenda, and it's not a moral crusade. It is about a person, body and soul, being rescued from sin and death and eternal suffering. It is about a person being born again to become a new creation in Jesus Christ, to, to come into the kingdom of God, to know they have an eternal home in heaven, to be restored to their God, to be turned into a worshiper, and then to glorify God as a follower. And that's why it's a worthy thing. 
to seek to win souls. Friends, I just want to say that if you're here and you're not a Christian, that is what I want for you this evening. I want you to know those blessings. I want you to know the joy of salvation. I want you to know the freedom of sins forgiven. I want you to know the hope of eternal life. I want you to know the sweetness of fellowship with the triune God. That you might know the love of the Father, that you might know the grace of Christ the Son, and that you might know the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. For every person hearing me now, I want you to share in those blessings because they are the greatest blessings any human being can know. Do you know it, friends? And because that motivated Paul, this great burden and desire to win souls, that they might be saved, he was prepared to be very flexible in his methods. Because he was motivated by this greater goal to share the gospel freely and to win people, we see that Paul's methods are very flexible. He followed the customs and way of life of people whom he longed to win. And he explains that, doesn't he, in verses 19 to 23. He says, I'm totally free, verse 19, I belong to none, but when he was with the Jews, he followed Jewish customs and food laws. When he was with those who were not under the law, that's the Gentiles, he lived like someone not under the law. When he was with the weak, he became like the weak in terms of how he was living. And it was because, verse 22, here's his summary, he was seeking to be all things to all people that by all means possible, I might save some. And doesn't that strike you as astonishing? In our world, if we want to criticize someone whom we think doesn't really stand for very much, what do we say about them? Well, we say they're all things to all men. We speak of it negatively. But actually, in terms of our practice, and we'll be clear what this means, but in terms of our flexibility of practice, it should be commended, friends, shouldn't it? You know, I think it's unhelpful to speak of seeker-sensitive worship. But I think it's biblical to think of a seeker-sensitive lifestyle. To seek to be all things to all people, that by all means we might save some. And this is where the challenge comes in terms of sacrifice, friends, because to be all things to all people means, am I willing to go to locations that are challenging? Am I willing to eat the kind of food I wouldn't choose to eat? Am I willing to wear the kind of clothes I might not like to wear? Am I prepared to choose jobs and livelihoods and hobbies to reach people? Am I prepared to spend money on things I'd not choose to? Am I prepared to learn languages that I'd find hard? Too many will not do this because we like our home comforts too much. But if Christians live like that, they would have never taken the gospel to the ends of the earth. Think of Hudson Taylor, great pioneer of the modern missionary movements, went from the UK to China. And while he was there, he dressed, 
ate, spoke, made his hair like someone from China. Came back to the UK and people looked at him and they were shocked. What was he doing? He was living this out to be all things to all men, that by all means I might save some. Now this principle can be misunderstood because we can wrongly apply it to say that we will stand for nothing and do anything to reach someone without any principles. And Paul's flexibility of practice was held alongside clear biblical principle. And we see that in the brackets there for us in verse 20 and 21. Because he is abundantly clear that when he was there among the Jews, who were in that sense under the law, that he did not place him under the law for salvation. That's what he means there in the brackets, where he says, though I myself am not under the law. So he wasn't going to adopt their methods for salvation. And when he was among the Gentiles, those not having the law, he followed the moral law of God in his life because he was under the law of Christ. The brackets there in verse 21, though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law. Now that means Paul did not become a gossip to reach the gossips. He didn't become a liar to reach the liars. He showed great flexibility when it came to practical matters, but he was rigid when it came to biblical principle. That pattern here seen in Paul is very important for us to grasp because most of us get one of those two things wrong. We can be too rigid on practical matters because we hold personal preferences too highly or we can be too flexible on biblical principle because we don't hold God's word highly enough. I wonder where you are on those dangers and where you need to follow the principles of Paul here. So in summary, here in this passage, God is calling us to great sacrifice to not live for the things that we think are our rights and to great stretch to win people for Christ so that we might serve him in mission. Now we could stop there, but will you permit me just to go a little bit further tonight and ask, What might this mean practically for you this evening? I'm very conscious there are a great range of circumstances and situations in this room. We have many varied and right responsibilities. And so, conscious of all that, I could say nothing and stop there. But I don't think that would be serving you best. So let me go a little further. And ask the question, what does it really mean for you tonight to be motivated by this passion for mission that motivated Paul? For some, could it be that God is calling you to be a missionary? Could God be putting that on your heart? Well, part of that calling is a willingness to leave what you think are your rights and stretch for those who need to hear. Maybe you're young and you could think about that for your life's calling in that sense. But it's not just for younger people. Maybe retirement or changing life circumstances open up avenues for mission. 
You know, maybe remote working unlocks missionary possibilities you have not considered, and you could go overseas and serve because your job makes it possible. You could do that. Will you pray about that? God may be calling you to be a missionary. For others, maybe we're called to pray and support those who go, which is always our calling as God's people, but we are also called to practice these principles where we are. There is a great danger that we think our calling is just to cheer from the sidelines while others go and live this out. But that's not all of it, is it, friends? Could it be this calling, this burden to make Christ known means that you could give up some of your time to be engaged in this work here? Could you join the invitation team on a Tuesday night? Could you join the book table once a month on a Saturday on the parade? Could you join one of the children's and youth groups in the church seeking to make Christ known? Could you get involved in the seniors' ministry, reaching those in that age and stage with the gospel? Could you join an evangelistic team? Could you be a bringer of others to events? Or maybe you could pray about starting a new evangelistic initiative. Could it be, could it be that we need to simplify our lifestyle so that we can give time and energy to winning people? I think that's a major problem for many Christians in the West. Life is too complex, and so we haven't got the time, we haven't got the energy, and we can't do it. And maybe we've got to be brutal and say we're going to not do some things. We're going to cut some things out so that we can do this. Can I challenge you to take steps that whatever it may look like for you personally, be sure that it means something. So as we close, let me leave you with two stories of one man and one woman. One man who set an example in how he lived here in the UK that others went and served because of his example, and he was an evangelist here in the UK. And one woman who went and served overseas, and God used her and blessed her in that. The man... Okay, the book's there, don't worry. The man uh, is uh, C.T. Studd's father. C.T. Studd gave up... uh, C.T. Studd, his son, gave up his life as a cricketer and went to be a missionary to three different countries, well, two countries on the continent, India, China and Africa. But his father, Edward, C.T. Studd's father, Edward, lived most of his life not as a Christian, but was saved later in his life when he attended one of Moody's evangelistic meetings. But once he was saved, he was on fire for the Lord. Lived here and now, served the Lord. He was so committed to reaching people that when he was taking some of his staff to an evangelistic meeting, he realized that one of his employees wasn't with them. And so he sent the rest of them ahead to go and hear Moody while he ran back to get this one man. And he ran so hard that he broke a blood vessel in his leg 
and he died from the injuries. At his funeral, the preacher said he did more in two years than most Christians do in 20. Now, we know very little of Edward Studd, but the example he set for others, including to his son, was powerful. Because what did C.T. Studd live out in his life? What was his motto? If Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. Where did he first see that? His dad at home. He saw it in the word. He lived it out. We can stay. We can be mission, involved in mission here. And our example can challenge others. But then I close with an example of someone who went overseas. And I close this example because it teaches us that whilst there are great costs, God blesses us as we serve. The lady is Gladys Aylward. She left the UK as a young woman and went to serve for decades as a missionary in China. And near the end of her life, looking back on her years of service, she said this. I have not done what I wanted to do. I have not eaten what I wanted to, nor worn what I might have chosen. I have lived in houses I would not have looked at twice. I don't know about the latest novels or pictures or theatre, and I live in a rather outdated world, and I suppose you would say it's rather miserable, isn't it? Friend, I have been one of the most happiest women who has stepped on the earth. I have known heaven opening and the blessings of God tumbling out. That's what God does as we serve. He is no one's debtor. So friends, let's serve him. Shall we pray? Our Lord and our God, we pray that you would forgive us for all the ways in which we have held on to things we should not hold on to. The ways in which good things, even blessings from you, have become too big in our lives. Lord, forgive us when we have stood what we think are on upon what are our rights. And help us, we pray, to be willing to sacrifice for the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, how we thank you for the example of Paul and how we thank you for the way in which his example reminds us of Jesus, our glorious Saviour who left all that he left to come to seek and to save. And Lord God, we pray that you might fill us with that same passion, that we might be greatly burdened by that calling to share the gospel freely as the best news in all the world, the privilege to do that. And that, Lord God, we might be burdened with a godly desire to win souls. Lord, I pray that whether we are called to stay here and serve you or go elsewhere, you would challenge us to put you first and to live for you and to make Christ known with all that we are and all that we have. We pray this for Jesus' glory's sake.
Amen.